So Joshua chapter 5, verses 1 to 12. Uh, this is God's word. Now, when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until we had crossed over, their hearts melted and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeath Ha'araloth. Now this is why he did so. All those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age, died in the desert on the way after leaving Egypt. All the people that came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the desert during the journey from Egypt had not. The Israelites had moved about in the desert 40 years until all the men who were of military age when they left Egypt had died since they had not obeyed the Lord. For the Lord had sworn to them that they would not see the land that he had solemnly promised their fathers to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So he raised up their sons in their place. And these were the ones Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. And after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in camp until they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the approach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate of the produce of Canaan. This is God's word. Let's pray. And we'll ask God to uh, help us uh, to understand this passage and apply it. Let's come before him. Father in heaven, we uh, know that this is your word because it says all scripture is God-breathed. And so, Father, help us to have that attitude that acknowledges and submits to your word as it really is, the very word of God. We pray that we would learn from this, Father, and that we would see the implications for our lives that your spirit would move our hearts to put it into practice so that we can be those who bring glory to you. Uh, be with us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this passage that I just read in Joshua 5, it's actually a real turning point in the history of God's people uh, for more than one reason. See, not only is this the uh, not only have they, the people just entered into the land that God promised them 500 years earlier, but what we have here is a, a brand new beginning, so to speak, for the, the people uh, that God has set apart for himself. Um, if we want to use the technical language, what we have in this passage is a covenant renewal ceremony. Uh, what, what we have here is that um, God had entered into a covenant relationship with the people of Israel. So it's a, a relationship with terms. 
Uh, God committed himself to them and they were to commit themselves to God. God had entered into that covenant with the Israelites, but the generation before this one had broken that covenant. And so what God has done, he's raised up a new generation. And this new generation, here they are at this point entering or re-establishing this covenant with God. They're, they're beginning afresh, reaffirming uh, their relationship with God. And the focus here is on re-embracing the sign of that relationship. Uh, see, this is the thing. Whenever God enters into a relationship with someone, he always gives a sign. He always gives signs for that relationship. It's kind of like um, if you've ever been to a wedding ceremony, I'm sure you all have, and uh, remember there's the, the exchanging of rings. So what's that ring about? It's a sign of that relationship. It signifies the binding nature of that marriage relationship. And uh, that's, that's what's, you know, that's a sign for the relationship. Well, that's what God does with everyone that he enters into a relationship with he gives a sign or a symbol. And the signs that God gives has far richer and deeper meaning than even a ring in a marriage, as we'll see. Uh, now, the main focus is, you know, the people receiving this sign of circumcision. And um, I'm guessing there might be some here tonight who are thinking, great, <laughs> I gave up a Sunday evening so I could go and hear about and ancient people getting circumcised. Uh, that's not as uh, entertaining as maybe what's on TV. Um, in fact, it's a pretty full-on scene, actually, because notice that they call the, the place Gibeath Ha'araloth, and uh, if, if that was translated literally, do you know what it would be? The Hill of Foreskins. So it's a pretty full-on scene here. Uh, so I get it if you're a little bit taken back by, you know, I'm coming out to listen to... A sermon on circumcision. Um, but look, there are some very important lessons for all of us here tonight from this passage. And I want to help you see those lessons, uh, especially relevant as we come to apply one of the covenant signs um, to little Isa in a moment. Uh, it's what we're going to think about, God's covenant, uh, the signs that he gives. And so there's three lessons I want to um, point out here that will actually really help us grasp the wonder and the privilege of being in a relationship with God. Because that's what this passage is really all about. So the first lesson we see from this passage is that God takes his covenant signs very seriously. God takes the signs that he gives for relationships very seriously. And you see, we can see that in this first, the first two verses. Because here, at this point in the book of Joshua, God has just brought his people into the promised land. To do that, he has divided the Jordan River at flood stage, peak flood stage. And the people have crossed over on dry ground. And we're told in verse 1 that when the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until we had crossed over, their hearts melted and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. And so with that scene set, you would expect that the very next thing that would happen is for the Israelites to go in there and take the land, take over. They have the advantage. Uh, the, the inhabitants 
I'm sure they thought they had days or even weeks to get ready for any battles because there's a raging river in peak flood between them and the Israelites. They thought they had time to get ready. But no, the God of Israel divides the river, the people walk across, and so these uh, inhabitants are caught completely unprepared and, as it says, they're absolutely terrified. And so you'd expect that the very next thing would happen would be an attack, take the land, take the advantage. But what happens? What does God do? He, he not only puts the brakes on, but he almost does the complete opposite here. What God does is he completely disables his entire army. Uh, verse 2, he, he says, um, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So, you know, that, that's completely counterintuitive. That goes against all common sense. Because what's going to happen? The people, the, the, all the military men, they're circumcised. That means they can hardly even walk. Don't know how long it takes to get over it, but verse 8 says they're going to have to remain in the camp until they're healed. And so what, what could happen? What happens if the enemy does decide to attack? They'll be completely helpless. And surely they could remember um, back in their history, uh, back gen in Genesis, where Jacob's sons tricked a whole city uh, into getting circumcised so that they could go in and attack them and, and kill them. And so you could imagine how vulnerable these people would have felt. Uh, what is God doing? You know, surely common sense would say, we'll do that later. Let's, let's attack now. Let's take the land now. But what we see here is that there's something far more pressing, something far more essential than even their safety, something far more important than even their success. And uh, what, what is that thing? It's their relationship with God. That is more important than anything else. And at this point, there's something that's not quite right in their relationship with God. And so that needs to be sorted out before they do anything else. And even there, we can actually see there's a, a very important application for every single one of us in this room right now that if we're not in a right relationship with God or if there's something like an, an issue of obedience that we're neglecting, then really everything else has to be put on hold until that's sorted out. Everything in your life needs to be put on hold until you sort out your relationship with God. You need to be right with Him. And that's what we see happening here. And in this case, the issue for them was their need to be um, circumcised. Now, what's so important about circumcision? Why did that have to happen? Well, before Jesus came into the world, from the time of Abraham all the way up to the time when Jesus came, the sign of belonging to God was circumcision. Circumcision was a, an outward physical sign of belonging to God. Uh, God gave the sign to Abraham. You can read all about it in Genesis chapter 17. But circumcision, it pointed, well, it symbolized in a very pointed way uh, that God made a promise to Abraham and the promise was that through your offspring, the blessing of salvation would come not only to you, 
but to everyone who believed. So here was a sign, a symbol, to symbolise the promise God made of the blessing of salvation. Not only that, but this sign of circumcision, it also symbolised the nature of of their relationship to God uh, because there was a cutting. And what that symbolised, as Moses taught in Deuteronomy, was the need to have a circumcised heart. Uh, A heart where the sin nature, you know, the the life of, of disobedience to God, the life of rebellion, that's cut off. So that's what it symbolised. And if anyone thought, maybe this is optional, uh, too bad. <laughs> because in Genesis 17 it says, any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from God's people. He has broken the covenant. So it's not optional. We see that God takes his, the signs of the covenant very seriously because he takes the relationship seriously, the relationship he has with people that he enters into. If you're in a relationship with God, he always gives signs of that relationship and he expects us to embrace those signs. Now, what does all this have to do with us today? Uh, Well, if you're a believer, if you believe in the same promise that God gave to Abraham, salvation if you are a believer then you're in a covenant relationship with god and do you know it's the very same covenant that the people were in with god back then now there's been some changes obviously jesus has come things are different it's now called the new covenant and therefore there's a new sign a sign to replace circumcision that and that is the sign of baptism Uh, But both circumcision and baptism, so baptism replaces circumcision, but the sign, it points to the same thing. Both signs function in the same way. And you can actually see that in Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 to 12. We'll put that up on the board. Uh, Notice how it says that in him, it's talking about Jesus, in him you are also circumcised with a circumcised, uh, not performed by human hands, Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So here you can see he's talking about spiritual circumcision, spiritual baptism. And that's what the signs, the physical signs point to of the salvation that God provides for us in Christ, so that when we believe, it becomes true of you, that you're saved, you're set apart for God. And uh, you can see in that passage that the correlation between circumcision and baptism, and that's, I point all this out because we're about to baptise little Isa. And uh, why do we do that? Where does it say in the New Testament that you should baptise infants? And we get it from this correlation between circumcision and baptism. That baptism replaces circumcision. And and so just as God commanded Abraham to be circumcised as an adult believer, 
God also commanded that his children would also be circumcised. And so even though the sign has changed, it's still the same covenant, still the same promise. And so we apply the new covenant sign of baptism also to children of believers as we will be doing uh, tonight with Esau. And so you can need so when you when when we when you watch the baptism later and you see Esau being baptized, you need to see the meaning of that. This it's pointing to something much bigger than just a splash of water. This is pointing to something that God does. It's pointing to the fact that God saves, that He is the one who has promised salvation. And uh, that's why God takes these signs so seriously. It's why we need to take them seriously. And it's why we need to see the meaning behind the sign, that it's pointing to salvation in Christ. So that's the first thing we see in this passage, uh, God taking these signs uh, seriously. The second lesson we can draw from this, though, is that it's actually possible to have the sign, but not necessarily have the reality to, the, to which the sign points. I'll say that again. It's possible to have the outward sign but not have the reality to which the sign points. And we see that in this main section of this passage in verses um, 4 to 8. Here we have an explanation of why the Israelites had to get circumcised at this point of time. And um, verse 4 tells us that this is why um, he did so. All those who came out of Egypt... All the men of military age died in the desert on the way after leaving Egypt. All the people that came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the desert during the journey from Egypt had not. Now, this is quite an interesting situation because God made it very clear in his word that uh, his people were to apply the sign of the covenant to their children, eight days old, and yet we find out that it never happened. <laughs> that that whole time of being in the desert, the people never got around to applying the sign to their children. And it doesn't exactly say why there, but we can find out by reading on that just shows what we see is that it was a time of disobedience. That the people who were in covenant with God just didn't bother with it. They didn't take the relationship seriously. They didn't take the covenant seriously. In fact, the emphasis of these verses here is the failure of that Exodus generation to receive what God had promised. Uh, Twice we're told that they died in the desert. Okay, This is this generation that God saved out of Egypt. This is a generation that, that witnessed all those plagues that God sent on the land uh, this is the generation who, who stood at the edge of the Red Sea and with a, an Egyptian army closing in on behind them, thinking that that's it, they're, they're doomed. But then they saw God open up the Red Sea and they walked through on dry land. They got to the other side, turned around and looked. Here comes the Egyptian army. God closed the water on them and destroyed them. They saw all of that. They saw the way God rescued them. But despite all of that, have a look at verse 6. It says that the Israelites had to move about in the desert 40 years until all the men who were of military age 
when they left Egypt had died. Why? Since they had not obeyed the Lord. For the Lord had sworn to them that they would not see the land that he had solemnly promised their fathers to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, the irony of all of this is that we're told twice that this was the generation that had been circumcised. And yet they didn't receive what the circumcision pointed to. They didn't see, receive the promise. They missed out. Why? Because of unbelief. Because they turned their back on God. Their disobedience was just the outworking of that persistent unbelief. And as a result, they did not receive what was promised. And so what we see in that Exodus generation is that it is possible to have the outward sign of belonging to God and yet not possess the reality. Uh, it's possible to, to have the sign pointing to God's promise and yet not have the faith that believes that promise. It's possible to, to have the sign of being in a covenant with God and yet still be a covenant breaker. And this is actually the lesson and the warning that the Apostle Paul draws from this Exodus generation. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 10, he says, these guys, they all experienced the Exodus. They all experienced God providing manna in the desert and water from the rock. Uh, they witnessed all these great things. You know, despite all of that, despite even having the sign pointing them to God's promise, Paul says, nevertheless... God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. And then he draws this application for us today. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. And so they stand as a warning. A warning for us today. It's possible to have the sign but not the reality now, if we put it in today's terms, it's possible for you to have been baptised before and yet not possess what baptism points to, salvation in Christ. It's a possibility. Uh, you know, it's possible to be a part of a church and not be rightly related to the Lord. That's the warning here. Uh, and so we can see here that all of us need to think, well, hang on a minute. If I've been baptised, do I have that reality? And how do you know? And the answer is, are you walking with the Lord? Okay, what, what does Paul say? He says that we need to make sure we're not setting our hearts on evil. And so that means if, if, we're, if we are belong to God, if we're his people, then we need to be fighting against all temptation. And, and fighting against all the urges to disobey God. Uh, we need to put to death those things that are hindering our relationship with God. We need to make sure that we're not allowing any room for compromise or indifference to holy living. Uh, we all need to make sure that we're not following in the footsteps of that disobedient generation, the one that God brought out of Egypt and yet didn't enter the promised land. And so this reminds us here that the Christian life is a life of repentance. 
It's a life of turning away from unbelief, turning away from disobedience and embracing what God has saved us for, to be his holy people. And that's why um, when we do um, baptise anyone, actually, but uh, when we baptise children in particular, uh, not only do the parents make a commitment to raise their children as believers and, and to pray for them, but as members of this church, we also make that commitment to pray for those that we baptise. Uh, we make a promise as a congregation that we won't be a hindrance to the child coming to faith. Um, because this Exodus generation, it warns us that it's possible to have the sign and yet miss out on the reality, to miss out on salvation. And so there is an obligation uh, placed on us to, to pray for those that we baptise and, and encourage them uh, in the faith. Now, the, the third thing we see here, though, is how, how do we ensure that what happened to that Exodus generation doesn't become our story? How do we make sure that when we get to the end and stand before God, that we will be accepted? How can we be sure? And the answer is by looking to what God has done for us. And that's what we see in these last three verses. Uh, the last three verses, the Israelites celebrate another one of the signs that God has given, uh, the Passover meal. Uh, so let's have a look at verse 10. It says, On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped camp to Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after. They ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate of the produce of Canaan. So this Passover meal, what was all of that about? It was about getting the Israelites to look back, to look back to the time that God saved them. Uh, God, brought, God brought them out of Egypt. He redeemed them set them free. They were slaves, they were helpless, and yet God came in and saved them from that land. And, and the way he did that was by bringing judgment on Egypt. And the only way the Israelites could be spared of that judgment was if they took a lamb, slaughtered that lamb, took the blood of that lamb and, and uh, put it in a bowl, uh, dipped a branch in it, and painted it around their door frames. That way, when God's judgment came on Egypt, those people who were in a house with blood on their doorframe were kept safe. They were shielded by the blood of the Lamb. And so by getting the people to, to participate in this meal at this point, God was reinforcing and impressing upon them that the only reason they're, they're in the land now is because he has saved them, because he has delivered them. By celebrating this meal, it was a way of reminding them of that fact. And so whatever battles lay ahead for them, whatever obstacles they would face, whatever trials they would go through, no matter what would shake their faith, they, they always had this assurance 
that was pictured in this meal that God was the one who saved them. And that if he has done that, then he can be trusted to bring them through to the end, to bring them fully into their, their own home, their land. And that's, that's the lesson we need to hear. How can we be sure as we, we press on that we're going to be safe in the end? How can we be sure that we will enter our eternal home? It's not by trying harder. It's by remembering what God has done. It's by remembering that he has saved us. How? By the blood of the lamb. Not that lamb they slaughtered back then, but the lamb, the lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Do you know the, the Passover, kind of like circumcision is replaced with baptism, the Passover is replaced by the Lord's Supper. And that Lord's Supper meal that Jesus put into place on the night he was betrayed is a meal that shows us very, in, in a very graphic way that he is the lamb who was slain. His blood shed for us. And so when you put your faith in Christ, it's, it's as if it's that same picture of that Passover night in Egypt where uh, you're shielded by the blood of the lamb. So on judgment day, you don't have to fear judgment because you're safe. You're under the blood, protected. That's the confidence we have. That's the only confidence that there is of being right with God by what he has done in the cross of his son. And that's what these signs point to. That's what we're going to celebrate with the baptism of Esau, a saviour, one who washes us clean from our sin. Uh, and so what we see in this passage, God's, God takes the signs well, God, God takes these signs um, as vitally important because they point to this relationship. But we need to make sure we not only have the sign, but we have the reality, the relationship with God. And if you're a believer tonight, then see in this covenant sign an assurance that if God has saved you, he will keep you. So recommit your life to him. Follow him. Trust him. Obey him. If you're not a believer here tonight, it's great that you're here. But see in this the invitation. Okay, Here's the God who saves sinners by sending his own son to go to the cross. He invites you to put your trust in him. Embrace Jesus as your saviour. Because there is no salvation outside of Christ. This is the God who promises salvation to all who believe. Come to him. Come to know him. He's the God who keeps his promise.